0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. I hope the weekend was good to you guys on the betting front. If you haven't already signed up for a new account, make sure to do so today. Take advantage of our promo code while you still can. Just go to MyBookie.ag and use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Again, MyBookie.ag and our promo code is UGA. Hey, all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and well, we've got a lot to talk about today after Georgia's 24 14 ugly conference opening win over South Carolina. Definitely not a pretty performance, not a vintage Georgia performance, certainly not our best effort, certainly did not play up to our standard, but we did get the dub. We got the win, survive in advance, move on, and continue to improve and get better as we move further and further along in this 2023 season. So a lot to talk about, but first, I do want to acknowledge this. I know I told you guys last week. In fact, I think I promised you guys last week that Curtis would be on today's recap episode, and that was the plan. That was what I was hoping was going to happen. But circumstances, uh, man, they just they conspired against us today. The world was out to get us today. Here's the deal, guys. I am going to a concert in Atlanta tonight at the Masquerade. So I had a deadline. I had to get to Atlanta from Athens. Not a quick drive. So I had a deadline that I had to record this show by so I could get to the show in time. And we were all set to make that happen, but Curtis was in town for the game, had to get back home today, was all set to get home in time, we knew the deal, we had it set up, we had everything scheduled, we were ready to roll, right? Well, had a little bit of car trouble this morning, trying to get back into town, so... That put him behind. He did get back. He's on his way home right now, actually. He's not quite home yet. Obviously, he'd be here recording with me, but he is on his way. Just not going to get back in time before I have to leave and go to Atlanta. He actually has a new truck coming in, but that didn't help him today. Would have been nice if he would have had that, but that did not help us today. So he is on his way back home, and I just couldn't wait. I I wish I could have waited. I just, I can't, cannot wait. So I know not ideal, not ideal. I really wanted him all here today. He really wanted to be on here today, but. I promise you this, he will 100% be on the Mailbag episode that we're going to be recording on Tuesday. We'll have that up for you guys at around 8 p.m. on Tuesday night. That is happening. We've already scheduled that. We are set to go. So unless there's some other act of God that is going to make that impossible, he is going to be on here. That, that, that is what is going to happen. We've got that set up. That's happening. So I do apologize, guys. I know traditionally he is on these recap episodes, and it's great to get someone else's thoughts on these games and, and what we saw transpire on Saturday, of course. But we, uh, we could make that happen if we tried, but the world was out. Yes, like I said. But Curse will definitely have his thoughts on the Metback episode. we got a ton of questions from you guys that are already coming in. If you haven't sent yours in already, there's still plenty of room. Get those questions in, and Curse will certainly give you his takes on the game on. Tuesday. So you got me today, guys, but hey, man, I'm ready to roll. I'm locked and loaded. I've got a lot of things, a lot of things to talk about and break down. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into this. I'm going to do this a little bit differently today because when I was sitting there in the stadium watching that game and going through the rewatch today, I actually didn't get all the way through the rewatch today because I did not I did have to move up this episode a little bit earlier today. I had to record a little bit earlier than I usually do. Usually record not like late at night, but uh, you know, six, seven o'clock. So it gives us time to go back and, and do a full rewatch and really digest what we saw. I didn't have time to do the full on rewatch but I got enough of it in and I'll definitely continue on with that on Monday but it's cool that's kind of what the mailbag episode is for it's a it's a chance for us to go back and rewatch a game another time and really really dive into the finer details and give you guys some updated thoughts kind of like a pun for the review is basically what it what it amounts to so we have a lot more thoughts on that mailbag episode but this is more of a kind of an instant reaction I did dive into the tape a little bit I just didn't get a full watching like I would normally get into it but watching in the stadium doing the partial rewatch today, there were things that stood out to me that were very, very good. Things to be really, really excited about. There were some things that, okay, yeah, we need to clean it up. Not so great. And then there were just some flat out ugly things that, are absolutely freaking me out right now. So basically, I saw some good, I saw some bad, and I saw some ugly. I know that's cliche, but that's the format we're going to follow today. I've got some really good things to talk about, some things that weren't so great, and then just some flat-out ugly things that we'll get to later on in the show. But before we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly, I do, off the top here, want to address the bigger topics that I know are dominating the conversation around this Georgia football team. I know these things are dominating the conversation because you guys are, when you hit me up on social media, this is what I'm getting from you. This is what I'm hearing from all my buddies. This is what I'm hearing from people in the stadium. This is what I'm seeing on social media all over the place. I know what the conversation is. I know what the big topics are. So I don't want to bury the lead. We're going to start with those topics. And the biggest topic I think right now, the topic of conversation that's surrounding this Georgia team are the slow starts offensively. And you can't really deny the numbers. The numbers are what they are. They have been very slow starts offensively. We've only scored 10 points In the first quarter through our first three games this season 10 first quarter points that is not good enough I I will agree with you all of you out there who are very upset and frustrated by this I I, I'm with you we need to score more than 10 points in three games in the first quarter That, that that's not okay we've got to do better but what I'm more concerned about instead of just like flipping out and saying, oh my God, it sucks. We're, it's miserable. Like We have no chance to win. I want to look at what is actually going on and try to figure out what do we actually need to do to change our fortunes in the first quarter and get off to faster start so that we aren't down 14-3 at halftime in our first conference game and have to mount a comeback to win the game in the second half. That's what I'm worried about. So kind of diving into what's going on here, there's a couple of things. All right? I'm going to start with something. I tweeted about this during the game and. The feedback I got from most of you was was that you guys generally agree with me. There were a couple of you that were kind of pushing back saying it wasn't as big of a deal, but I think these new clock rules, where the clock is not stopping on first downs, that is certainly having an impact on the way that we are starting games. Now, the clock rules have nothing to do with the plays that are being called. has nothing to do with execution, obviously, absolutely, but what this new clock rule is doing is limiting possessions. I know that we're still running a lot of plays. I think we ran like 79 total plays ultimately at the end of the day on Saturday. I think that was the final number. But in the first half, when we go on these long drives and when South Carolina goes on a long drive to start the game in their first possession, it's limiting the number of possessions that we are getting, particularly in the first quarter. Because at that point, we're not in tempo mode. You know, we're still kind of feeling things out. We're not really running with a lot of tempo. And neither was South Carolina. So the first quarter possessions are being limited at this point. And what that does is it reduces the margins between the more talented team and the less talented team because the more talented team just simply does not have as many opportunities to put points on the board early in the game. Therefore, they're not able to jump out to the bigger lead. And the less talented teams, I mean, South Carolina is a less talented team than Georgia. I mean, they are, I think they're a solid team, but they're certainly clearly less talented than us. They simply are not having to score as many points, which is reducing margins. And for those of you who don't believe me, who don't think that the clock rules are really changing anything, I have numbers for you guys, all right? I know it's only three games in the year, so it is what it is. It's what we have to work with. This is the data points that we have. But if you compare this to last year, all right? Last season, I went back and I crunched numbers, guys. Last season, we averaged 2.86 possessions in the first quarter. Two point eight six possessions, right? Doesn't seem like a ton, right? But two point eight six this year through three games, what are we averaging? We are averaging two possessions in the first quarter. Now I know when you're talking about two point eight six and two possessions, you're saying, well, that, that that's infinitesimal. That's not that big of a difference. It's actually a thirty percent difference. That's a thirty percent drop in the number of possessions that we had in the first quarter from last year. Guys, we had one possession. We had one possession in the first quarter on Saturday against South Carolina. So, again, what does that do? It reduces margins. And really, more than anything, what it really does is it magnifies red zone efficiency. It makes it so much more important, so much more critical to be efficient in the red zone and actually score touchdowns. And it's always important. It's always a pivotal point in the game where you're in the red zone, you've got to score touchdowns. It's always, always a dominant factor in who wins and loses football games. But now, when you don't get as many possessions, it absolutely becomes even more important. And in the first half, in that first quarter yesterday, in the first half in general... We were not efficient. We were not efficient offensively in the red zone. We had two trips in the red zone. We got three points. What did South Carolina do? They had two trips in the red zone. What did they come away with? Yeah, they came away with 14 points. That's why it was 14-3 at the half. It was all about red zone efficiency. They were simply more efficient in the red zone than we were. So I do think that the cl- new clock rule with the first downs or the clock not stopping on first downs. I do think that is a factor. Is that the only factor? No, of course not. There were other things that play here. But I think you would certainly be burying your head in the sand if you were trying to suggest the clock rules have nothing to do with it. I'm not saying it has everything to do with it, but it clearly has something to do with it. The other part, in my opinion, is execution. When we are getting in the red zone, we're just not executing. I mean, think back to the game against Ball State last week. First drive, drive right down the red zone, and then we kind of just stall out. It was a couple of miscommunications, and just some stupid things that we wouldn't normally do. We weren't crisp when we got in the red zone. We marched up down the field right down there, almost no resistance, easy. Got in the red zone, and just did boneheaded things. Same thing happened on Saturday. Two possessions, guys, two possessions. Two of our three possessions in the first half. I know we had a a late possession, we had a fourth possession, but two of our three possessions that weren't like two-minute drill possessions, we got into the red zone. But once we got in the red zone, we simply did not execute. And I know that people want to put that on Mike Bobo. I understand that. And look, on some level, on a very serious level, he is the offense coordinator, and ultimately, he is responsible for everything to do with the offense, right? He coordinates it. So execution ultimately does fall on him. I'm with you on that. But that's not what people are talking about when they talk about Mike Bobo. They're talking about play calling, and he's just not good enough. And they're falling back on the old Bobo, and then their preconceived notions about Mike Bobo. But I go back to it, guys. We had three, what I would call, real first-half possessions, where you're running your real offense. You're not running a two-minute offense. And in two of those three possessions, we marched the ball right down inside the 15-yard line. Well, what happened when we got inside the 15-yard line? We didn't execute. We start we started screwing around, doing things that we hadn't done all the way to that point. Now, again, you can put that on Mike Bobo, and I, I won't push back on that. He is a coordinator. He is responsible for everything the offense does at the end of the day. I mean, that, that's part of the deal. That's why you get paid the big bucks, right? So you can put that on him. But what I have an issue with is when people put it on the play calling in Mike Bubba. I don't think the play calling has been an issue. And you can disagree with me. That's fine. I don't think the play calling has been an issue. Part of the issue, the first two weeks, you go back to the UT Martin game and the Ball State game, where we were having some issues in the first half, and we we were kind of slow out of the gates, and we weren't being super efficient in the red zone. Well, part of the issue was that we have not been able to run the football. That was also a big part of the issue on Saturday against South Carolina in the first half, especially the first quarter. We got in the red zone. We ran the ball well between the 20s, getting in the red zone. We All of a sudden, we're not running the football well in the first half, and that's a problem when you cannot run the football in the red zone, you are going to have a very difficult time scoring touchdowns. That's very well established. That's that's just how football works. You've got to be able to run the football when the field is condensed like that because all of the space is eaten up by the back of the end zone there. There's not as much space for the passing game to operate. Again, it's all condensed. So what do you need to be able to do? You need to be able to run the football and impose your will physically. And through the first two and a half games of this season. We haven't been able to do that once we got in the red zone with our run game. And I know some people on the first drive where we got in the red zone, it was, well, I think, third and nine, and we called a little screenplay, right? And a lot of people, I've heard from a lot of people, and I know a lot of people in the stands were screaming about it. They're very upset about that play call. So you got to take a shot in the end zone. I understand that, but you also have to factor in the context of how South Carolina was defending us. They were trying to light us up. All game, guys, like from the start. And on that third down play, they were bringing pressure. And what were they doing behind it? It's what they did all day long. They were bringing pressure and playing very soft behind it. So if you're wondering why we ran so many screens and so many short passes it was because of what South Carolina was doing, right? What does a good offense coordinator do? You take what the defense gives you. And what South Carolina was giving us was the screen game, the short intermediate game, because they were playing so far off playing soft because they didn't want to give the big play when they're bringing pressure like they were trying to light us up. And so on that third down play, that's what was happening, all right? They were lighting us up there and they were playing way, way off. They were playing about 10 yards off our receivers, third nine. So we called a screen play. We had three guys out there to the field, Two guys made their blocks. The ball goes Marcus me jackson Marcus me jacksons one one-on-one with the third guy. You would like to see him make a miss. That's what your job is, right? On a, a screenplay, when you get the ball like that and you're one-on-one, that, that's a win. The offensive coordinator has put you in a position to go out there and win and make a play, and we just didn't make the play. We got tackled, short of the first down marker, had it so for a field goal. I have absolutely no issue with that play code. Now, again, you can disagree with me. That's fine. If you want to take a shot at the end zone, I understand that. I can respect that. I think philosophically, I would just differ view a little bit there. I think the defense was playing for that. And if we take that shot, I don't think it's there. And I think you risk turning the ball over inside the red zone, which I mean, selling for field goals sucks, but you know what sucks more? Turning the ball over in the red zone. So I have no issue with that. I mean, I wish that we weren't in a third and nine situation there because what happened on first down? Well, yeah, we ran the football and we didn't get anywhere. So again, it comes back to not being able to run the football in the first half once we got in the red zone. And then the second drive inside the red zone, Mike Bobo, dialed up a perfect play he got Brock matched up on Debo Williams an inside linebacker Brock is going to win that match about 100 times out of 100 I mean that's just reality he got exactly what we wanted Mike Bobo dialed up a perfect play on the situation well what happened well, there was an obvious pass interference where Debo Williams hooked Brock and kept him from catching that football, and the, the referee just didn't call it. They didn't call it. I mean, it, it's it's football. There's humans out there in these in these white and black zebra uniforms. They make mistakes, and that was a mistake. That should have been first and goal Georgia, and it really should have been a touchdown because if he doesn't wrap his arm around him like that, then that's, that's a touchdown. Brock catches that ball. He breaks that tackle. He, he scores a touchdown. We've seen him do it before. We know what's going to happen there, but again, why were we in third and long there? Because we couldn't run the ball on the early downs. And if you want to call me a Mike Bobo apologist, that's fine. I can take it. I can take the heat. Bring it on. That's fine. But let's think about what happened in the second half. We went three for three touchdowns in the red zone, right? So what was different? What was different in the second half compared to the first half when we got in the red zone offensively? We could run the football. That was the difference. Because what do we do each time we scored in the second half? Those are all rushing touchdowns inside the red zone. It's funny how that works. When you're able to run the ball efficiently and effectively in the red zone, all of a sudden, you start scoring touchdowns in the red zone. It's really funny how that works. We simply were not executing, guys. That's why. That's what I'm trying to point out here. Like, we were not executing inside the red zone the first half. Now, again, put that on Bobo. He's in charge of all that, right? Change of personnel, whatever. But when we finally started executing in the run game inside the red zone, we started scoring touchdowns. It wasn't a play-calling thing. It simply wasn't. But speaking of Mike Bobo, let's talk a little bit more about him here, all right? I don't want to get too far into the weeds here because I think the Mike Bobo debate is very quickly becoming the new Stetson Bennett debate of the past couple years, right? Where there's just two different sides in this. No matter what you say, you're not going to convince anyone that you're right. I mean, people are just kind of entrenched in their positions, and that's okay. I, if you're one of those people that just doesn't like Bobo and like you don't trust the guy and you think he's not the guy for the job— Honestly, there's probably nothing I'm going to say here on this podcast or the rest of this season to convince you otherwise. Just like if you were convinced Stetson wasn't the guy, there was nothing that I could say on this podcast that was ever going to convince you that maybe your opinion wasn't exactly accurate. And just like those people who were convinced Stetson wasn't the guy, as soon as they made like one mistake, they came out of the woodwork, screaming and pointing and telling, right, oh, we told you so, we told you so. As soon as Mike Bobo has a bad call here or there, or a bad drive or doesn't score a touch on the red zone, everyone's coming out of the woodwork, pointing and screaming and saying, I told you so, I told you my Bobo sucks. But let's talk about it. Look, I wish some of you guys were on here so we could actually have a, a civil debate about this. I know there are people who disagree with me and that's okay. I, I mean, hey, guys, I'm not saying I'm right. This is just my opinion. Right? This is my take on things. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. It is what it is. I'm just here on the podcast, the microphone in front of me, giving you my opinion because that's what you're listening for. So I'm going to give you my opinion on what's going on with our offense and with Mike Bobo. And you certainly do not have to agree with me. That's a, it's a beautiful world. That's one of the things that makes the world beautiful. We can have different opinions and we can, we can be okay with that. Now, when I talk about Mike Bobo, I want to make this clear. I do not think that Mike Bobo is infallible. I do not think that Mike Bobo is perfect. There are absolutely some things that I wish that he would adjust, and I hope that he does adjust moving forward. One of those things would be not blocking the backside end on some of our zone plays, because that's what we're doing, guys. Some of these zone plays that we're running, we are leaving the backside end unblocked as though we're optioning off of him, but we are not optioning off of him. Carson Beck is not posing any sort of threat to pull the ball and run the football on against like a zone replay—that's just not happening. And the defenses know it. South Carolina knew that they were crashing, and so was UT Martin, and so was Ball State. They were crashing hard on those plays. And I'm sitting here scratching my head, saying, "Why are we doing this? Block that guy! Like if if that's not in our scheme and our zone plays, we, we don't have a we don't have a mechanism to say block that guy. Then just don't run those plays right now because." it's not going to be affected because Carson's not holding the backside in with the threat of the run because they don't see him as a threat to run. Now, what I would like to see him do, if we are going to insist on running our some of our zone plays that way, I would like to see Carson actually have the green light to pull it. Because I think Carson is athletic enough to do that. Now, again, he's not Stetson Bennett athletic. He's not like Anthony Richardson athletic. He's not that guy. We've seen Carson make some plays with his leg. All he has to do is show him that he'll do it and pick up five or six yards and slide. If you just show him that you'll do it a couple of times, you're going to slow down that backside pursuit. Because otherwise, what are we doing? Why are we leaving a guy unblocked to option off of him if we're not actually optioning off of him? So that is one thing that I wish Mike Bobo would change. The other thing I wish he would change, I alluded to this last week, I wish that we would use less 12 personnel. And I know that we have these great tight ends. I know that's kind of been the bread and butter of our offense over the past couple years. But we are trying to use Oscar Delp as though he is Darnell Washington. And I don't know if you've noticed, Oscar Delp is not Darnell Washington. Oscar's a really talented player. We're just misusing him right now. And I know that we feel like we have to use him that way because that's kind of the scheme of our offense. That's what we do. When we're selling like how do we get all these tight ends? We sell them and we're gonna play. You get we, we put 12 personnel out there all the time, right? About half the time we got 12 personnel out there. So it's kind of part of our identity, but it's not effective right now. I'm not saying it's never effective. It's not nearly as effective as it was last year in the past couple of years with Darnell because again, Oscar Delp is not Darnell Washington. He just simply is not that type of blocker. Oscar is working his tail off trying to block. I mean, I have no issues with the guy and the effort he is working as hard as he possibly can. But we're asking him to do some things that he's just not really super well equipped to do right now. He's better at it than he was last year, but the number of blocks that he's just missing and the number of times that his guy is making the play at or behind the line of scrimmage, that list of plays is growing. What I would like to see Mike Bobo do is, I'm not saying completely throw away 12 personnel, obviously still use it from time to time. I'm just saying I would like at least a little bit more see us run the ball from spread sets. And if, if you want to do that at 12 personnel, that's fine. If you want to have two tight ends on the field when you do that, I'm totally cool with that. I just, really it's more so the heavy sets where we have, Oscar as an inline tight end, and you have Brock as an H back. When you have all those guys, all those bodies there around the line of scrimmage, around the football, it's creating a lot of traffic between the tackles, and there's not much room, not much space for our running backs to operate. The few times that we have run the ball for more spread out sets, those have been some of our most effective running plays. Dylan Bell's long t- what was a 21 yard touchdown run against Ball State. Go back and watch that, guys. That was 11 personnel. We were spread out. We had five linemen in the box, and that was it. And what happened? Dylan had space to work with. He made two guys miss in space, and he's off the the races. 21 yard touchdown. One of the biggest plays of that game. That is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that we have to do that exclusively. No, I'm just saying work more of that in, especially when you have a guy like Dajon Edwards back now, who absolutely has the ability to make people miss. That's one of the things that makes Dajon awesome. Is his ability to make people miss. He's got that wiggle. He's got a little something something to his game. And if you give the guy more space to work with, he's going to create bigger plays in the run game. So those are two things that I wish that Mike Bobo would adjust. So I'm, again, I'm not telling you that he's perfect. He's not. But I do think the hate that Mike Bobo is getting right now, the criticism that he's getting is over the top. And quite frankly, I think it's unfair. I, I do personally, personally. Personally. And let me give you some context here, all right? Because I, I would just say this. I, I know that we're all emotional about Georgia football. I am, guys. I was super emotional that first time mean I was, you know, my seats, my season tickets are on the aisle there. So I can, I can get up and as soon as I get nervous, like when there's TV timeouts, I just can't, I cannot sit there for, two minutes, 20 seconds, when there's a TV timeout, or 2.40, whatever it is for CBS, I got to get up, I got to pace around the concourse, so I just get up, and I walk around, and I was a nervous wreck, halftime, I met up with Curtis in the concourse, and because uh, his, his seats are right near me, too, and uh, yeah, we were, we were not happy, it was not a great conversation, some choice words were said, I was very frustrated, and I was not in a good place, so I'm emotional, you're emotional, we are invested, we love this, and that's a great thing, but sometimes I think that we let our emotions get the best of us in terms of what we actually saw. Like we think we see things maybe we didn't actually see. And sometimes it leads us to ignore things that are actually happening. There's a lot of really good things that our offense did, guys. A lot of really good things that Mike Bobo did. And I'm going to put this number out here. Now, you might as might not care because I know at the end of the day, points are what we care about, right? I, I understand that. But what helps you score points are first downs, right? And we put up 29 first downs on Saturday against South Carolina. 29! 29 first downs. Now, if you're not familiar with how many first downs a team typically puts up, let me ask you this. Kind of a rhetorical question because I know you can't answer me. But does anyone know how many times we put up 29 first downs in a game in Todd Munkin's entire three-year tenure as our offense coordinator? Anyone want to take a guess? Twice. We didn't do it all in 2020. Didn't do it all in 2021. Did it twice last year. against Vandy, and we did it in the national championship game against TCU, obviously that massive blowout. It's the only time in Todd Munkin's three years at Georgia calling plays that we put up 29 or more first downs. He, we hit exactly 29 against Vanderbilt last year and we hit 31 against TCU. And this is not a me telling you that Mike Bobo is better than Todd Munkin. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. I love Todd Munkin. I'd be very happy if he was still our offensive coordinator. All I'm trying to point out is is that there's not this massive gap between what Todd Munkin did for three years and what Mike Bobo has done through the first three games of this season. Now, I know the scores haven't been, you know, blowout scores like you might want, but I, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, guys. 33 nothing against Samford last year. 39-22 against Kent State. 26 22 against Missouri. We scored 16 points against Kentucky. It was 10 3 at half against Georgia Tech. And again, I'm not trying to tell you that Todd Munkin was a good coordinator. Todd Munkin was amazing, but. What happened at the end of those seasons when we won national titles, when you put up 60 plus points on TCU in the national championship game, and there are a host of other games where you blow teams out, like Oregon, you blow them out, week one was it 49-3, something like that, 48-7 against South Carolina last year, so I know you're comparing what we did in South Carolina in Columbia last year to what happened this year, but the reality is that wasn't every single game when Todd Montgomery was our OC. We had plenty of games where the offense wasn't great. And we had to fight and grind for things. So when Mike Bobo puts up 29 first downs in a game where, oh, by the way, he had one possession in the first quarter, had three real possessions in the first half. I guess you can, th- you can say four with a two-minute drill. That's fine. Well, I'll allow it. But we don't run with tempo. Like We were doing a little bit of tempo at times. But we're not a tempo team. And we put up 29 first downs. We put up 28 first downs against UT Martin. Again, that's a number that Todd Mungan did not hit very often in his three years in Athens. Because of the two national titles, the end result, we have essentially deified Todd Munkin. So anytime that Mike Bobo and our offense produce less than the best of Todd Munkin's offenses, like Todd Munkin's offenses at their best, anytime that happens, people are ready to pounce. And I and I get it. I get it. I understand it. I, I I get where you're coming from. But I also think it's unfair to Mike Bobo because I thought he called a heck of a game, especially when you factor in our best receiver and Lab McConkey didn't play yet again hasn't played in three games. You have a quarterback making his third career start, his first career SEC start. A redshirt freshman at left tackle. You have your starting right tackle is going to be a first-round draft pick go down early in the first half we have an absolute mash unit at running back and you still put up 29 first downs in that game. And because again guys, we were moving the ball almost at will between the 20s. And in the second half, we were moving the ball at will almost everywhere. The first half we just kind of bogged down once we got in the red zone. So I am not as concerned, long story short here I guess. I'm not as concerned about Mike Bobo as a lot of you are. And again, I know a lot of you disagree with me and that's that's totally cool. I'm just trying to give you my opinion here. I don't think Mike Bobo is the problem. So Real quickly before we get to the good, bad, and the ugly, let's talk about what changed in the second half. I go back to what I said earlier. It's execution. It's red zone efficiency. We had three points on two trips in the red zone in the first half versus 14 points on two trips in the red zone for South Carolina. Again, that's why we were down 14-3 at the half. What did we do in the second half? We went three for three scoring touchdowns in the red zone. All three of those were on run plays. We did dial up a few more shots in the second half. I will uh, say that that certainly was something that did happen there. But again, I go back to what I was saying earlier. I understood why we were screen heavy in the first half. We still were running some screens in the second half, but I understand why we were screen heavy in the first half because they were lighting us up, guys. They were They were bringing the pressure. It was kind of like, whatever. We're just gonna try to get after George. That's the only way we're gonna do it. We're gonna, we're gonna try to harass Carson Beck and force him in, into some mistakes. And I know all of you want Carson Beck to take those shots down the field. That's what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to force the football. They were playing soft. They wanted him to force the football and panic. And he didn't do that, to Carson Beck's credit. So when you're playing a soft behind like that and they're blitzing like they were, what do you do? You scream. That's good offensive coordinator stuff. Like That's that's what you should do in those situations. They did it too, right? They just broke one of theirs for a touchdown. So I think offensively, we changed some things up a little bit but we also were just more efficient. It simply comes down to that. Defensively, we decided to light them up in return. They were lighting us up in the first half. We decided to bring more pressure in the second half, and it was to great effect. Spencer Rattler, guys, I mean, you guys saw the game, was on fire in the first half. Basically, what he'd been doing his, the entire year to this point. 16 of 18, 152 yards in the first half, all right? Well, what do you do in the second half? We start blitzing him more, start bringing more pressure, making him uncomfortable. Six of 24, 104 yards, two interceptions in the second half. Totally different story. Why? Because we started to bring more pressure and also just get more pressure. We were also winning up front more. We had Christian Miller and um, Warren Brinson play a lot more in the second half, and those guys, I've told you early in the season, those are disruptors. They can get in the backfield. They're not Jalen Carter, but they can they can get in the backfield and cause some havoc, and they were absolutely doing that. And on the flip side, Rattler was not good in the second half because we really made life difficult for him, but Carson was fantastic. 14 of 17 in the second half for 171 yards. That's what changed. We executed better. We decided to bring more pressure defensively. We made life uncomfortable for Spencer Rattler, and the rest is history. We win the game 24-14, outscoring 21-0 in the second half. But all right, guys, before we move on to the good, bad, and ugly, I do want to quickly remind you about our friends at my bookie. Again, I hope the weekend was great for you guys. I hope you hit some parlays. I hit a couple of them this weekend. You guys know I am uh, anointing myself Mr. Parlay this season. And if you are one of those people that are kind of following my lead here and doing some parlays, it's great that my bookie has the cash out early option now. So if you hit the first leg or two, first couple of legs, and you don't want to sweat out late at night, just go ahead, cash it out, take your money, and don't even worry about that last leg of the parlay. That's helped me out once or twice this season, so I'll, I know it can help you out as well. And it's so easy to sign up, guys. Just go to mybookie.ag, use their promo code UGA, and when you sign up for a brand new account, you get that 50% bonus on that first spot. It's tough to beat that one, guys. That's free money to play with. Again, mybookie.ag, use that promo code UGA to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, let's get to the good, the bad, and the ugly here. I want to start with the good. And the, the first thing that comes to mind here that I feel really good about coming out of this game is the resiliency that this team showed. We were down 14-3. Down 14-3 at half, had nothing going offensively during the first I think we were moving the ball between the 20s, but we weren't scoring. And that's demoralized. They had a couple big plays. They had that screen pass for a touchdown. They had the big pose to Leggette that set up the second touchdown. But to be able to come out the way that we did and inch the bell right off the bat with touchdown, touchdown, touchdown to take the lead... And we completely controlled the South Carolina offense in the second half. Again, the the pressure we were able to get on Rattler really, really helped in that regard. But the resiliency that we showed there, that championship spirit, that championship fight, that is something that I'm going to take away from this game as very, very encouraging moving forward through the rest of the season. Because this team is a team that is not a finished product right now. I mean, I told you guys coming into this week that I wasn't overly... I wasn't concerned per se, but I didn't know what we had necessarily. I didn't know how good we were. And I still am not sure exactly how good we are because there's some things that we need to continue to improve on and and clean up and some guys that we need to get some more experience. But I come away feeling this is a team that has what it takes from the heart standpoint to to get things done. And I know that sounds kind of, but it is something that matters guys it absolutely matters and this is also a team that I believe with all the youth and experience that we have in key spots is going to continue to get better as the season goes along and by the time we hit the end of the year I think that we are going to be rolling now the the mission now is let's not slip up like we almost did at least in the first half of the game before we get to that point so I'm very very excited about the resiliency and the fight that this team showed but in terms of tangible things on the field the run game, guys, what a sight for sore eyes that run game was. And it wasn't the most dominant run game. We've had more dominant run games, but 189 yards rushing, 4.4 yards per carry in three touchdowns, all three in the red zone in the second half, critical points. That was something that I needed to see because I, I made no bones about last week, guys. The run game, it wasn't Carson Beck I was worried about. I was worried about the run game. And I'm still not completely comfortable with some of the things I've seen from the offensive line, but putting up 190-ish yards against an SEC defense that was fired up to play us and having to grind it out and and basically win the game with our ground game in the second half more or less – that was something that I'm also taking away from this game as very, very encouraging moving forward. And I think our run game is going to continue to get better as the season progresses. And we're really trying, trying to figure out our identity. I think we got closer today to figuring out what our identity is going to be offensively. We were able to, to do some of the things that we really wanted to do. You, you can see that we wanted to do coming into the season offensively, but we were just having trouble doing it because we couldn't get the ground game going. I was very encouraged by that. And speaking of the ground game, we got to talk about Dejan Edwards, man, making his season debut, 20 carries, 118 yards, just a shade under six yards per carry at 5.9. This guy is unbelievable, man. I, I absolutely love Dejan Edwards. This is a guy that was an afterthoughts recruit. The only reason that he's on the University of Georgia football team right now is because of how the whole Zach Evans thing went down. We cut Zach Evans later. We took a scholarship away. And by that point, Tanks Bigsby was going to Auburn and Jameer Gibbs was going to go to Tech. And they were they were up in their feelings as we didn't. Because we took Zach Evans over them basically, is what was going on. And so who are we left with? Well... Plan D. We were left with Dejan Edwards, and look what this guy's become, man. Dejan Edwards is our feature back, guys. I'm ready to say it. I know it's one game. I know it's one game, but it's pretty clear to me. Dejan Edwards is our feature back, and yes, Dejan Edwards is a feature back in the SEC. I, for most of his career, I didn't know if he would ever be that. I thought he was a really good complimentary piece. Even last year, I was more or less what I said. But I, what I saw from him on Saturday, I believe now. I'm a, I'm a believer now. I believe that Dejan Edwards is a feature back in the SEC. He's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have the physical profile of your typical SEC back. He doesn't look like Branson Robinson. He doesn't look like Nick Chubb. He doesn't look like those guys. But what I kept saying about him all last year clearly stands true yet again, guys. All the man does is produce. That's all he does. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what his 40-yard dash is. I do not care. All the man does is produce, and that's what I care about. 20 carries, 118 yards, 5.9 yards per carry, and we needed him, guys. We are so banged up at running back right now. And I, you know, I told you last week, the guys that we were having, I McKinnell mean, trying out there on one leg. God, mad respect for that. Roger Robinson's learning. He's growing. I want to get one carry. But, I mean, it's pretty clear in the first couple of games, like, he's not that guy right now. Like, he's not He's not that guy. He's not making guys miss. And that's what Dejan does. Like, what makes Dejan Edwards special? He's very patient, number one. He allows blocks to set up. He has great vision. His ability to get skinny in those tight holes, that's something that no other running back on our team currently can do. They simply cannot do it. Dejan is the only one that can do it like that. And on top of all that, probably his greatest skill set, in my opinion, is his ability to make people miss, not just in space. Yes, he makes people miss in space, but he makes people miss in the hole. So when we're outnumbered in the box, like we were the first two weeks in South Carolina, was trying to do a lot to us yesterday. When we were outnumbered and there was a free runner that we simply could not account for because they had more bodies than we did at the line of scrimmage, Dejan can make those guys miss. Kendall Milton's not making those guys miss. Roger Robinson wasn't making those guys miss. Andrew Paul wasn't making those guys miss. And that's why had me freaked out, guys. That we weren't making those guys miss. And if you want to play big-time football, you want to win national championships, you got to make those guys miss. And we've had guys in the past that can make those dudes miss. Dejan makes them miss. And he also runs with power, man. Like, this guy is ferocious. He's not big man's not big at all, but he runs big. And one of the other things I was talking about with our backs the past couple weeks, they weren't running big. Dejan's by far the smallest of all those guys, but he runs bigger than all of them. So just an absolute revelation getting this guy back. I figured that he would help our run game. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't imagine he would inject that type of shot into our arm. I didn't expect it to be like that. So just tip of the cap to Deja Edwards. I just absolutely love this guy. He's a throwback dude. He doesn't talk trash. He does his job, goes back to the huddle, and works his butt off for his team. He's a Colquitt County kid, man. South Georgia boy. I'm not a South Georgia boy. I'm a North Georgia boy. But I respect the South Georgia boys because they come out and they, they produce guys like that, man. Just love that guy and just such an incredible guy to have on our team. I do want to give Kendall Milton a shout out here real quick he didn't get a ton of carries he went out I think it was what Kirby says an MCL injury looks like it might be which god just I am just, just I am so sorry for this kid man I I hate it for him so much but when he was out there he was running hard he was running hard man I know I was giving some of those guys some grief the past couple weeks not running as big as I think they need to Kendall ran he was the guy that was running hard against Ball State and he ran hard you guys opportunities against South Carolina and I know he's not 100% man obviously not even close to it so i I I just I wish his senior season was not going to be like this. I hope he can get healthy and get back to the guy that he can be. But when he was out there, I just have a lot of respect for him being hurt and injured like he is and going out there and ring as hard as he did. I got to give Kendall some props. But the run game is not going to work without the offensive line doing its job. And it wasn't always pretty with the offensive line, as we'll get to with some of the bad stuff. I want to give a shout out to Dylan Fairchild, man. So he comes in, had to play significant downs when Amarius Mims goes down in the second quarter. We slide truss over to a right tackle, and you've got Fairchild at guard down. I thought Fairchild played really well in his first really extended time playing for us in a big moment, man. A really big moment. He wasn't perfect. Nobody on the offensive line was perfect. Nobody was. But considering the context of the situation, I think Dylan Fairchild played really, really well there. And I thought we actually, I mean, Mims is awesome, but I th- i think Trust might be, I don't know, man. Is Trust better at, t- at right tackle? I don't know. But Fairchild, he's a guy that needs some snaps, man. Even moving forward when Mims comes back, because Xavier Trust will get to him a little bit at guard, just not really getting it done, man, not. And I thought Fairchild played really, really well there. So shout out to him. Carson Beck, got to talk about Carson Beck here. I hear the chatter, guys. I know there are people out there who, think Carson Beck is gun-shy and is not pushing the ball down the field and is hesitant and is trying to just take the checkdowns. And I am not going to sit here and tell you that there are not times where that's happening. There are a time here or there where maybe he should have let it loose and took the checkdown instead. But I think that's being vastly overplayed. I think we're talking about a small handful of, of examples here. I think every time he checks it down, people are thinking, oh my God, he just, there's a guy running up and down the field and he just checked the, depth, checked the ball down. And that's just not the case. And I also think you have to understand, because I know there are some people saying, well, on this play, this guy's running wide open. He didn't throw it to him. He took the check down. You have to understand how progressions work, guys. There are plenty of concepts that we run. And it's really hard for me. Like I don't know exactly what's going on there because I don't know what our progressions are. No one does. None of us know what our progressions are. So it's really tough to have a strong critique in this regard without knowing exactly what the progressions are now there are some concepts we're running where the progressions are pretty uniform throughout football and there are concepts that we're running in the pass game where we're working one side of the field that's not what we're doing all the time but they're like triangle concepts right we're generally on the triangle concept we're working one side of the field and there might be a guy that's running open on the entirely other side of the field but Carson's not going to see him because that guy's not really in the progression in some of those concepts, the running back, what we're calling the check down, is actually in the progression before some of the other guys that you're seeing on the other side of the field that are running open. Now, I'm not saying that's the case in every single progression, every single pass concept that we run. That's not the case. But there are a lot of pass concepts where that's what we're doing. And again, I go back to what South Carolina was doing philosophically to us defensively. They were bringing a lot of pressure and playing really soft behind that because they did not want to give up the big play so if you want Carson to force the ball into that coverage you're playing right in their hands as they're going to pick that ball off and we're going to turn the ball over and so then you can start screaming about Carson turning the ball over instead of screaming about Carson not pulling the trigger so either way people are going to be screaming about something I'd rather than be screaming about him taking the check down and taking the safe play as opposed to turn the ball over I think Carson Beck played fantastically especially in the second half for us on Saturday and you know what guys I think Carson Beck's been fantastic all year so far I know it's only three games I think this guy has been awesome again in the second half Crunch time, down two scores, guy comes out 14 of 17, 171 yards in the, in the second half. His counterpart on the other side, 6 of 24, 104 yards, two interceptions in the second half. I think Carson's one of the top three quarterbacks in the SEC. And I think by the end of the season, there's a chance that he could develop into the top quarterback in the league. Right now, I think it's Spencer Rattler. I, I do think that Spencer Rattler, despite the second half, and we were, we were getting after that guy, man. Their offensive line is dreadful. I think Spencer is playing at a high level. I think he's probably the best quarterback in the SEC right now. Carson's not quite there yet. I think Jackson Dart's in that conversation. I, probably, I might have him ahead of Carson right now. But I think with three starts under his belt, the way he's playing right now, by the end of the year, when he sees more coverages and he sees more situations, I think there's a world where Carson Beck could develop into the best quarterback in this league. I don't know if it's going to happen. He's not there yet but I think it could be. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. All right, moving along here, some other good things. Marcus Rose me, Jack Saint, led the team in receiving yards, which I mean, look, Marcus hasn't been like the alpha number one wide receiver at any point in his career. He's doing some really good things as a freshman before his leg fell off back in 2020 in the Florida game, if you guys remember that, but he's back from that, and I've always felt Marcus's a guy that can give us more in the receiving game. I think he can be a really, really good pass catcher. He was he was that kind of guy in high school, guys. I was so high on him coming out of high school at St. Thomas Aquinas, big time player. I think he's starting to show more of that for us. We know what he does in the perimeter blocking game. I think he's a guy that can that can that can be a more of a threat in the passing. I think we started to see that against South Carolina. Ra Ra Thomas, speaking of wide receivers, and it was only two catches. A huge catch. It was a tough catch that he made down the field there in the second half. So a big play there. And he's a guy that's starting to figure things on this offense, as we've talked about, very different. Offense than what he played at under Mike Leach at Mississippi State. He's trying to figure things out. And I think this guy is going to become a factor force more and more as the season progresses. So love what we've seen there from those two wide receivers, especially in the absence of Lad McConkey. Who Lad, dear God, man, come on, baby, get back healthy, baby. We need you. Come on. uh Defensively, it's about some defensive guys here. Tyke Smith just, I mean, every week, right? I think this is the third week in a row I've talked about Tyke Smith on this show. Tyke Smith's been incredible, man. Like, he had a pick. He's incredible in run support the coverage on the field was where I had some concerns about him that's never been his strong suit but he's been really strong he had a big a couple of big pass deflections in this game one certainly off the top of my head in the first half so I'm really really excited about what I'm seeing from Tyke Smith right now guys doing a fantastic job and I, I, I'll own it you know you get some things right you get some things wrong it's pretty clear I was wrong about Tyke Smith and Janela Guerra Janela Guerra ain't taking that job because Tyke Smith is not going to give that job up because he's playing lights out so I am very happy to be wrong about that I mentioned them earlier Stephens a tackle combo Christian Miller and Warren Brinson. They didn't start the game. Zion Logue and Nazir Stackhouse are starting games, but Christian Miller and Warren Brinson played a ton for us all game long. Christian came in in the, in the first drive actually, and they were playing heavily for us in the second half because we were trying to get pressure on Riley. We realized what we need to do. We need to make his life uncomfortable. We cannot let him just sit back there and do some things. So we're bringing those guys because why? What do they do? They disrupt things. They are explosive interior defensive linemen that aren't. They're not space eaters like Naz Stackhouse or Jordan Davis but they are going to pressure the quarterback, and that's exactly what they did. They didn't get sacks, but they got close a couple times, and they were absolutely affecting Spencer Rattler, so big-time play for them, especially in the second half. Love to see that. I'm Christian Miller, guys, I am I am sky high on Christian Miller, man. I think he's going to be awesome for us. Uh, speaking about pass rushing, Xavier Soria. I know he didn't play a ton of snaps, he came in on the third down, dime packages, and he did some really, really good things rushing the passer. That's his skill set. Him and Jalen Walker right now, what they do the best, they're both inside linebackers, but what they do better than anything right now is they rush the passer. They have big-time pass rushing skills, and Xavier, because Zavion sort of did that a lot in high school. He was kind of a tweener coming out. I didn't know if he was play inside or outside, but he's got some pass rushing skills. Man, there was one play in the first half where he just flat out bull rush and ran over the offensive the tackle and just missed the sack by a second because he was so excited he overran Rattler but he was getting pressure when he was out there doing some really really good things so I'm really excited to see that because we need people that can do that all right we need people that can play those positions and get that natural pass rush and Xavier Sorry seems like he can be that guy or at least one of those guys for us so there's the good guys, and we'll get to the bad and the ugly here in a second, but I do quickly want to remind you about our friends at Alumni Hall. I hope a lot of you that came into town this weekend for the game were able to stop in at Alumni Hall. Hopefully you got your ponchos from Alumni Hall because you saw the weather report, and you guys were ready to go when the rain started to come, but I hope you got a chance to stop in and pick up some great 2023 Georgia game day gear, and if you couldn't, if you had to get home, or if you weren't even in town, it's all good. Stop online at alumnihall.com because they have all the same great stuff, guys. All the gear, all the brands, everything you want, it's online too, and they'll ship it to you really quickly. They send it with a nice, beautiful touch. Again, like they do it in a way that no one else does it. They, Alumni Hall is incomparable when it comes to Georgia gear. It's just reality, guys. So make sure to pick up your 2023 Georgia game day gear from Alumni Hall because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. Alright, guys, a couple more things here. Let's get to the bad. Now, fortunately, there's not as much on my bad and ugly list as there were was on my good list. That's kind of what we want, right? On the bad list, though, there are a couple of things here, right? The left side of the offensive line was very, very bad in the first half. Very, very bad. Ernest Green picked it up a little bit in the second half, but I mean, he's a redshirt freshman, guys. I'm trying not to be too hard on the guy because you had to have you had to timber your expectations. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. Didn't play really at all last year, dealt with a back injury it's been a tough going for him, man, at the first couple of games, he, he did some, he's not, it's not bad at every single snap, but he's, he overextends himself sometimes, he gets off balance, he's whiffing on guys, pass pro, he's not getting his hands on guys enough, he's got to do a better job, I started to see some better things from the second half, I, I was encouraged there, but it wasn't good enough in the first half, Xavier Truss is kind of the same story, but Xavier Truss has been around for a long time, I mean, like, Truss did some really good things for us once we got the tackle, I don't want to kill the guy, because even when he's at guard, it's not like he's, Missing every block. But just for guys played that much football for us I and mean, been around that long, you would like him to be a little bit more proficient in the run game. And that's something he's got to continue to clean up and work on. If he doesn't, guys like Dylan Fairchild are going to continue to eat into that time. So and look, it was really center to the left side of the offensive line because uh, Cedric Van Pran, as much as we love that guy, I mean, he's missing some plays, man. I mean, so I'll go back to the red zone inefficiency. The, I think it was the first down run play once we got inside the red zone there where he just got beat he tried to turn his guy and he didn't hold long enough and his guy makes a play for a one-yard gain and it may have been a touchdown or it could have been a much bigger gain there than what it was and that sets us behind the chains on first down and puts us in a situation where third nine we throw a screen pass on third nine so he's got to he's got to do a little bit better job he's again like all the other guys he's doing a really good job at times but he's just got to be more consistent we need more out of Cedric Van Pran. This is a guy that we were talking about potentially the best center in the country coming into the year. And he hasn't, I'm just gonna be honest, guys, he hasn't played terrible. He hasn't played the best center in the country the first three games. He just hasn't. So I think he's got that in him. We just need to get that out of him. Now his leadership, that doesn't ever go anywhere. And that's a huge part of what he brings to the table. So I, that's been awesome but we need to play on the field to be a little bit more consistent there. Uh, defensively, we have got to do a better job of containing quarterbacks. I'm getting tired of seeing it, guys. Our defense played great. Held them just a little over 300 yards of total offense. It really was two big plays. We gave up the, the screen pass for a touchdown. We missed like 78 tackles. And then the the big, long, bomb post to Xavier Leggett. Those are really two big plays that we gave up in the game. So outside of that, we played extraordinarily well against this team. But, Spencer Rattler was able to extend plays and pick up some critical first downs with his legs. And it would be one thing if it's just Spencer Rattler, but we saw it against UT Martin. We saw it against Ball State. In fact, I went and crunched the numbers, guys. We've given up 264 yards rushing through the first three games. 264 yards rushing. 105 of those have come from quarterbacks. That's 40% of the rush yards that we have given up through the first three weeks have come from QB runs. Now, a couple of those were design runs from UT Martin, but outside of that, it was really mainly just scrambles. We've just got to do a better job of containing them. We've got to do a better job when we're rushing to not wildly rush upfield and create those run lanes. And I, I will say, we haven't really played a team that has a quarterback at least a guy that they feature at the quarterback position that is a dynamic runner with his legs where they do a lot of design QB run stuff so you have to put a spy on them and like when we when we're playing a a guy like Jaden Daniels for example like when we're playing guys that we know can run the football we tend to account for that with our game plan like I'll go back to the Peach Bowl CJ Stroud we didn't account for him in the in in our defensive game plan running the football because he hadn't done it all year he like would actively refuse to run the football like if you go up went back and watch the tape last year But he did it against us, and that hurt us because we were not spying him. Because why would you spy him? He had to put that on tape all year. And I think that's kind of what we've seen through these first three weeks. Like, we weren't playing teams where the game plan had to include a guy that was mirroring the quarterback because they don't have quarterbacks like that. So if you don't have a spy there, then you have to be you have to have a lot more integrity in your pass rush. You can't be as wild getting upfield, and you just have to be more disciplined. And I think that we've got to do a better – I know that we have to do a better job of that because that cannot continue to happen. That's very, very frustrating – and uh, we gotta rein that in. We gotta figure figure out what to do there. Uh perimeter blocking was better on Saturday against South Carolina. We had some some uh some of those screens that went for some pretty big yards because we had some guys that were doing a good job. I think Arian Smith did a better job black on their perimeter this week, but it's still not good enough. I mean, it's all around. It's not just Arian Smith, it's all of them. Like we're we're there's plenty of plays. Some of those screens we could have broken for. Big time explosive plays. They were there. They were there, but we're just missing a block, or we're just not holding the block long enough. We've got to be more physical and aggressive out there, and we just got to be more proficient in the perimeter blocking game. Because if we're going to run some of these screens, a lot of the RPOs that we're running, because with the issues that we have in the running back position right now, and the run game in general, at least coming this week, we've gone heavy on RPOs. Like we've run, I mean, we ran RPOs in our Munkin, but we've gone far heavier with RPOs through the first weeks of this season than we did in our Munkin. And when we do that, we have to be able to block on the perimeter so those can be like go from three to four yard gains to become 2025 maybe 50 yard gains if we make a block so it's getting better still not quite where it needs to be yet and finally guys let's go to the ugly here i don't want to spend too much time on this because i mean i don't like talking about things that are ugly who wants to talk about that but we have to talk about it like we we cannot ignore this you guys know where i'm going right that kicking situation I, I, I don't know, man. I don't even know what to say about it. I'm tongue-tied. I do not do not know what to say about this. And it's not just, I mean, we got a freshman kicker, right? So you expect there to be some growing pains, a miss here or there, but we're talking about missing from 20 to 29 yards. He's right now, he's one of three from 20 to 29 yards, four of seven on the year, barely over 50%. I would like to believe that he will continue to improve as the nerves kind of wear off. This was his first SEC game. It's a big moment, big spot. I get that. I don't care though. I don't care it's the big SEC moment. I don't care. If it's inside, if it's inside 30 yards, you can't miss it. That has to be automatic. You cannot miss it as badly as he missed that one. You just can't. You cannot miss those kicks. We are not going to win that championship. We might not even win the SEC if we can't figure out someone with the kicker. We have got to figure something out there. I'm very concerned about it getting to his head. I, I don't know. You don't know what these guys are made up of, you know, like above the shoulders. You know, I, I hope that he's okay. But if it continues on, man, like it gets in your head, like how do you recover from that, man? I, I just, I don't know. And I don't know what the solution is. You know, Obviously we have another kicker on scholarship in, in Jared Zurko and it was apparently a very close battle in practice. And Kirby says, you know, he makes him in practice. Well, I mean, that's great. That's awesome. But you gotta make him in games. If you can't make him in games. You might just start thinking about trying somebody else. Giving Zirko a shot there. He's doing kickoffs right now. I don't know. I, do you want to give up on the guy after three after three games? Because if you do, I mean, is he ruined forever? Like, I, I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss with this. I really don't know what to think about that situation right now. But it's got to get better. It's got to improve. And it's got to improve, like, now. Because we haven't even gone on the road yet, guys. In two weeks, we're going to Auburn, Alabama. That place is going to be freaking wild. Those fans are going to be out for blood. And a freshman kicker in that situation, a guy that's missing from 20 to 29 at home like that, and like not even close, that scares me. So I don't know what you do if you're Kirby Smart here. That's why you get paid the big bucks. You get paid 10 plus million dollars. You got to make those decisions. And I, I mean, I know he's doing it in practice and he's been the better guy in practice, but you got to be able to translate it out there on the field on game day because it doesn't matter because practice is a means to an end, man. Like we got to get this done in the game situation. So I don't know if I'd give up on him yet. I don't know because it is very early in his career. But if he continues to struggle, then you've got to make the move. I, I think you've got to seriously be considering it right now. I don't know if I'd make the move right now, but if we did, I also wouldn't be opposed to it. I would completely 100% get it. So that's the ugly. That was the ugly, guys. That's really the only thing that was truly ugly in the game. There were some things that weren't great that, were, that we needed to improve on, but that was certainly ugly. That's That's got to get better. But all right, guys, last segment here. I got a couple final takeaways for you here. I know that this game, 24-14, the final margin, is not what you were hoping for. It's not what you expected after we went into Columbia last year, beat them 48 7, right? Well, you also have to factor in that the Spencer Rattler that we played yesterday is not the Spencer Rattler that we played, was it week three last year? Yeah, week three last year. Different guy. He's very comfortable in the system now. He's playing extraordinarily high level. I mean, I told you guys in the preview episode coming into uh, the game that last five games, this guy's averaging 350 yards passing a game. He's 10, 10 touchdowns, three picks. Just a different guy. And I told you all offseason, my thing with Spencer Rattler, he's up and down, really consistent. He had the elite talent, but he wasn't that guy consistently. And, I, and, you know, coming into this year, if I was trying to project forward, like what to expect, yeah, he was awesome at the end of last year, but the other nine games, he was terrible. So I said, you know, coming into the year, if I'm a betting man, I have to bet on the, the nine-game sample size as opposed to like the two or three-game sample size. Well, the guy has carried over that momentum, and he he's awesome. I, th- I think through the first three weeks, he has played as though he is the best quarterback in the SEC. And so we just beat the guy, beat the team, who has what I think right now is the guy playing as the best quarterback in the SEC. In fact, I think with Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett, that's probably, arguably, but I, I, I think I would make this argument. I think that's the best quarterback wide receiver combo in the SEC right now. And outside of those two plays, the screen pass for a touchdown and the big home run post to Leggett right before halftime when they went up 14-3, we played fantastic on defense. And again, the second half, was it 6-24? And that's not because Rattler sucks. Rattler's really good. And we just played that much better on defense. So I know you want the score to be similar to what it was last year but it's not always going to be that way. It's just not, especially when we're trying to figure out what we are on offense right now and you got a, a quarterback who's a st- third career star, but he's still playing at a really, really high level. But we've had some issues with the run game and the clock rules, limiting possessions. You know, 24-14, not the most inspiring victory, especially when you fall down 14-3. But when you can hold that quarterback who's playing as well as he is right now in that offense with that receiver, I know they can't run the football. Their offense line is terrible. Their offense line is god-awful. There is that. But in terms of receiver, quarterback, I really believe that's as good of a combo as there is in the SEC right now. And outside of two plays, we held them entirely in check. Now, clearly, offensively and defensively too, we need to clean up the execution. And that's why I think this team is going to continue to get better with each and every week, as the execution is going to get stronger. It's going to get more crisp each and every week. But here's the thing I know it seems kind of weird because we you know struggled through the first half of this game 14-3 at halftime only 24-14 victory we've been used to just dominating teams at South Carolina but I'm actually coming away from this game feeling a lot better about this team than I did coming out of week one or week two even though we won those games by 40 plus points right I feel better about this team after this game even though it was only a 10 point victory why because we found the run game and that was something and you guys know I was just very frustrated and concerned about that And I'm not saying it's all solved. It's not. But Dejan Edwards coming back, I think we found our feature back. I really do. And he's an unlikely feature back. He doesn't look the part, man, but he plays the part. And I love this guy. So that is very encouraging because if we can't run the ball, our offense against better teams is not going to be able to function the way that we want it to function. Like maybe not even good enough to win games. So getting that run game going, I feel very, very good about that. I love that we dug deep and showed that championship pedigree, the resiliency that's what you want to see from your team. Not every team does that, guys. A lot of teams just fold. They just go in they go in their shell and they fold. 14-3, we come out swinging in the second half. Touchdown, touchdown, and we never look back. And as I said earlier, last thing here, I'll just kind of reiterate it. Some of you are frustrated with Carson Beck, and that's fine. You're welcome to your opinion. I personally, though, am convinced that Carson Beck right now is a top three quarterback in the SEC with a chance to develop into the best in the league. And I know some of you might throw Jaden Daniels above him as a passer. No, give me Carson. I know Jaden with his legs is a different animal. I understand that, but talking about passers, I think he's a top three guy right now. I do think that Rattler's number one. I think Jackson Dart, I'm probably having slightly ahead of Carson right now. Although, I mean, Carson's probably a better passer than Jackson Dart, to be honest with you, and especially consider, consider the context of the offenses that they play in. So I think, I think Carson's a top three quarterback in the league right now. I truly do believe that. And again, like I said, Rattler's playing a really high level. He might end the year... Universally recognized as the top quarterback in the league, but I think Carson's got a shot if he keeps playing the way that he's playing and he keeps improving with each and every start. Which, like, why would we not think he's going to? I I think that is certainly going to be the case. Now there will be some ups and downs. He's got to go to a very hostile environment in Auburn in a couple of weeks, and he's never been in a place like that as the as the guy. So that's another test he's going to have to pass. But he's very cool. He's very calm. He's very collected, very poised. I love that about him. This guy's, he seems unflappable back there. So I'm really encouraged by what I've seen from him. I'm encouraged by what I saw coming out of this game in the second half. The first half didn't encourage me, obviously, but the way that we came out in the second half and we found the run game and we got after Rattler and completely harassed him and showed that championship fight, I feel better about this team right now than I did this time last week or this time two weeks ago. But all right, guys, I have got to get out of here. In fact, I got like eight minutes to eat dinner so I can get out of here and get to this show. But thank you for being here, guys. Again, I'm sorry that Curtis could not make it. He will be back here on our mailbag episode that we're going to record on Tuesday. We'll have that up for you guys Tuesday evening. But uh, I know, guys, I know it wasn't pretty. I know it was frustrating. I know it was maddening at times. I know you might have been punching some walls. I wanted to, but I also didn't want to break my hand. I was pacing a lot, though, kind of pacing maniacally. I get that, guys. But hey, survive in advance let's get better, let's keep this going, let's improve some things since UAB, and let's take it into Auburn and take it to the Tigers here in a couple of weeks, but all right, guys, I appreciate you got plenty more on this game this week, we'll also have uh, the second edition of our Gory UGA SEC power rankings, got a lot of updating to do, it's only been two weeks, but we're not going to do a preview of UAB, guys, I know you guys do not care about me previewing UAB, so we're going to do the power rankings again, and then Charlie and I will be back at the end of the week once again to do our week four Picks of the week. But have a great week, guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go, dogs.